0: Hey, folks, and welcome to Typology, the show on which we explore the story of you through the lens of the Enneagram. Hope you all had a fantastic holiday weekend. This is Anthony Skinner, producer of the show. I've got a giveaway for you at the end of this intro if you stay tuned, but first I have to say, hey, how about that interview last week with Brant Hansen? We've been getting so much commentary on it. It was such a great interview. Go back and listen to that one if you haven't already. And you are going to be pumped about today's interview with Rick Hamlin. We're talking about mindfulness and meditation. Rick has his brand new book, Even Silence is Praise. Of course, Rick was longtime editor at Guidepost Magazine, and he has done a deep dive into mindfulness and meditation. And Of course, you know we love our mindfulness and meditation here at the Typology Podcast. So this is a fantastic episode, and I'm sitting here with this book, and I just thought, you know what? Rick was kind enough to send a few books our way, and he signed this copy. And so here is the deal for any of you who listen to this podcast, head on over to social media on Instagram and leave a post about this week's episode and mention at Typology Podcast. You have to mention at Typology Podcast, or I won't see your name. But if you mention this week's episode, at Typology Podcast with Rick Hamlin on Instagram. I'll take all those names, throw them in a hat, pull out one, and send you a signed copy of his brand new book, Even Silence is Praise. It will be well worth your time. That's it for me, Anthony Skinner. I hope you all have a wonderful day. And now, here's the host of our show, Ian Crimes. Rick Hamlin, Enneagram Two,
1: author of the new book "Even Silence Is Praise: Quiet Your Mind and Awaken Your Soul with Meditation." Welcome to Typology. Woo-hoo!
2: Thank you, thanks Ian.
1: We are delighted to have you, and uh, I am so excited about this conversation because prior to hitting record, uh, we had already a yeah. rich, uh, a rich deep dive into uh, common friends and uh, talking about our common. Passion, really, yeah. for silence and for meditation uh, and uh, for contemplation.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, we have so many similarities and uh, and interests along this line, and I can't wait for our folks to hear this, Anthony, because Same. as you know, I have long been a evangelist for a daily meditative practice if for no other reason, but to help people on the journey towards self-discovery to learn how to, uh, train and discipline their attention Mm -hmm. so that they have the capacity to stand back and self-observe, uh, the machinations of their Enneagram type, right? Uh, apart from, you know, I don't know how else you do it. So let's, uh, let's hop in, Rick. I've, I've already spoken too much. You know, we, um, we're living in very challenging times, and um, we know that there's a mental health crisis. Uh, recently, at the State of the Union address, our president made a a, a big deal of, of that of that problem. We have anxiety and shame and depression. Talk to me about the intersection of mental health and spirituality and meditation.
2: Wow! Well, you know exactly when it, when you the enneagram and meditation. I mean, it's, it's just like what you say. When you sit silently, mm. you get to know yourself a lot better. Uh, and, and, you know, people get really anxious about it. They, they constantly say to me, oh, you know, I'm so bad about it. You know, I sit there and, and I can't quiet my mind because there's, there's so much thoughts that come in and uh, so many distractions. And I always say, but that's it. You know, mm. hearing what your mind is saying when you when you kind of get quiet is an incredible gift you know you're you're opening yourself up to yourself and to God when you do that
1: mm-hmm. yes, and you know we 're going to plunge more into this uh, we 're going to revisit that question i 'm going to back up a little bit, but I think for me, the word that has always resonated is that in uh a meditation practice and it is a practice so i tell people all the time listen th- listen it's a practice it's supposed to be hard at first mm. right that's why we practice right uh scales on the piano are hard until you do them a lot right and uh so you know but people these days always want to hack you know how do i hack silence and it's like well good luck uh, it just doesn't really, doesn't really work. Let's back up again before we hit this mental health thing. Enneagram two, you're a helper. Uh, tell people, how did you get introduced to the Enneagram and, and what's it like to be an Enneagram two?
2: Well, you know, when you kind of go down the the rabbit hole of self-knowledge, you know, my first thing, I I got Myers-Briggs and, and that I found very helpful in a workplace situation. But now as I'm in a journey to become a spiritual director, I've also gotten the Enneagram. And it's, you know, anything that can help you know yourself better helps you understand others Mm -hmm. uh, and also understand how you're interacting with others.
1: Yes. And there goes the, again, the the case for... Developing a a meditation practice that empowers or uh, strengthens your attention to mindfully observe the thoughts and the stories that your mind is producing all the time. And then you're able to observe your behavior. So, for example, as an Enneagram 2, if you have a strong meditation practice, you, you will learn how to know when your giving is calculated and strategic rather than altruistic. Mm-hmm. He's smiling, everybody, <laughs> he's smiling. Why are you smiling so wide mouthed? You are seeing a lot of teeth.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, when, I, when I'm sitting there and I, uh, I do this on our lumpy sofa in what we call the television room, even though there hasn't been a TV in here for years. Uh, and, you know, so those those little things come into my head. Uh, Oh, gosh, have we paid the bill yet? Uh, Oh, 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 oh my God. Oh, yeah, that person. I I should call them. Oh, text them, email them. And so, you know, what's valuable about that is it's also my prayer time. So before I kind of run off typing away on the text, the emails, I can also pray for them. And so I'm bringing God into this Situation, So that helps me from running out of myself because it might be just one of those things that God can say, let's just let that go for a little while, Rick. Okay, thanks. Thank you for that. Okay, so
1: I have patterns of thought that come up. In fact, someone once said to me, and I think it was actually based on some scientific evidence right Mm -hmm. that we have roughly 50 to eighty thousand discrete thoughts in a given day right and um most of those thoughts are repeats in other words there's very little new material that's going through our head right uh so and there are patterns that you begin to see arise right so for me as an enneagram four you know i know that there are certain things that i think about that are very characteristic of a 4 mm-hmm. right uh, i think a lot about the past uh, you as a 2 rick tend to think more about the present right so for example oh i got to send an email i got to send a text because 2s are typically more present oriented 4s are more past oriented so that's one thing or i i might i might feel or begin to think um you know my thoughts might become melancholic or, um, unhelpfully nostalgic, Mm -hmm. you know? Uh, and that's a very four pattern, Mm -hmm. right? So Rick, I want to know what are the repetitive thoughts that go through your mind? And let's see if any of them are rooted in Enneagram
2: two patterns. You know, that's, that is a really helpful thought. I had never, you know, that the thoughts are concerned with the present, well, wow, that is so true, um, you know, and, and 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 you know what it is? There's also the scheduling brain,
1: mm-hmm. you yes. know,
2: trying to... It's as though there's, you know, a, an Excel spreadsheet in the head and it's trying to work all those things in. Um, but at least the Excel spreadsheet tells you you've only got 24 hours in a day. Um, uh, <laughs> but that, that other, you know, what I find... The gift of a prayer meditation time means that when those eighty-two thousand thoughts recur through the day, I've connected them with my faith journey, or I've also acknowledged my the the God part of them. So, so it's a way of doing the old pray without ceasing, because there. Th- they're acknowledged right early, and then oh yeah, that's right, that's that that's right. That, that thank you, thank you, uh, because you don't want to be just repeating yourself over and over again. What a waste of energy!
0: Yes, can you? you oh, you have that's so right. You so many
2: insights in this, my friend. I, I want, I want to hear you preach it, man. <laughs> <Take> it.
1: <laughs> no, 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 no. But I do want to know. Uh, you said earlier, you know, oh, I need to get a hold of him. I need to do this. I need to do yeah. that. And all of them sounded as if many of your thoughts are grounded in relationships is that is that the case or of
2: of of course i mean you know i'm also pretty extroverted uh, uh i love people uh i you know i've got two new grandbabies one on this coast one on the other coast you know it's it's uh yeah so So the relationships, but maybe, you know, there's the upside and the downside. You find yourself in relationships. You learn about yourself in relationships. The downside is, oh, wait, there's nobody around here. Who am I? Uh, I don't count. Mm. So the silence is being sure I'm a friend with myself Mm. rather than just, you know, defining myself by other people. Mm.
1: And that's a big part of the the Enneagram 2's journey, right? Which is uh, to not uh, make relationships, uh, which is what they think about when they go to bed at night and what they think about when they get up in the morning. Can I ask
0: a question off of what you said earlier? Because we sort of skipped by it. Ian asked you, what are some of those repeating thoughts? Yes. And as you were talking about it, you came to a point and you said, uh, oh, that's right. That's right. Thank you. Thank you. It was like you. What is it? What are those thoughts where you have to slow yourself down and remind yourself, and then reconnect with God? Which is sound like what you were doing. I just want to uh, reiterate what, or dive back into what are those repeating thoughts you have that you have to be aware of or catch yourself on?
2: Well, you know what you're catching yourself on is is are you, Mister Fix It? Or is the divine your partner, in is Mister Fix it? Mm. Or in fact, the divine might be even the better doer. The um, so, mm. yeah, it's it's maybe stepping in prematurely or just mucking up. <laughs> yes,
1: yes. Well, and that's that's what I was trying to get at here. Was you just said it, Mister Fix it? Enneagram twos tend to be. Mr. and Mrs. Fix-its. Yeah. You, you know what I'm saying? Particularly in the area of relationships. Mm-hmm. I need to call this person. Oh, I need to find out how they're doing. Uh, I need to check in with them. Uh, you know, twos are very uh, focused on meeting the needs of others, of helping others. That's a strategy that they employ uh, when they're not very self-aware to win the approval, the appreciation of others, right? It's, I'm going to meet your needs, and by meeting your needs, I kind of quietly expect that you'll meet my needs without my having to come right out and, uh, and ask for you to do that.
2: Yeah, I should say, I think I actually wear this hat that says, need me, need me. <laughs> <laughs> That's it, Rick. That is the Enneagram 2.
1: And so, you know, every type, uh-huh. you know, would have, and I could go through, sure, them, but yeah. they would definitely have um, type related thought patterns and and to be able to recognize them and not be tyrannized by them right. is kind of a big part of what i think a meditation practice can do for people who are using the enneagram as a tool for spiritual formation
2: well i guess you know what you're saying is 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 it, is it really love that you know because what mm-hmm. what our goal in life is to love is it really love if it's all just about serving your needs mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and not theirs uh, or being aware of theirs. So it, it, this is the growth thing that you just have to keep pushing yourself through mm-hmm. or at least I do my friend.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, so we've we've talked a little bit about, you know, how mm-hmm. silence can help us develop the muscle of attention that gives us the capacity to observe ourselves and hopefully with tremendous compassion, with a sense of humor, uh, to be able to go, oh, that thought again. You know what I mean? Or when we have a thought that isn't particularly wonderful, I guess that the, what's the word that Eastern Orthodox uses? Is it logos moi? You know, the, when your thoughts begin to r- run riots and to just not take them very seriously, even the distressing ones, you know? Yeah. like yeah. That's just what the mind does. The mind secretes thoughts the way that, you uh, your Thyroid, you know, secretes you know, enzymes or whatever the thyroid does. All right, so we've covered that. Someone wants to begin a, a meditative journey, how does that happen?
2: Uh, you know what? The, the there are two things find a time and find a place. Mm-hmm. And you know, we usually think, Oh, yeah, the time, the other thing. When you do it, you have to do it every day. Mm-hmm. And if somebody says, you know, I can only do it for five minutes, I say, fine, but make sure it's five minutes every day. Yes. Because circling back to it again and again is what, what works. And, and, and then I say, find a place because my lumpy couch, when I'm taking subway to work, the A train, the place becomes your signal. Oh yeah, okay. This is when I'm checking in, I'm, I'm checking out to check in. Uh, so it's, it's those two things. And, and then the, the practice of, for me, it has to be with my eyes closed. There's, there's, there are, you know, practices where you, could, I love, you know, tend to, I tend to meditate on just an image and it's not an image of Jesus. It's not an image of myself. It's, it tends to be just sort of negative space. But there's also the practice of using a word, a single word, God, peace, love, mm-hmm. s- sin, maybe, um, which comes from a, a wonderful, uh, the cloud of unknowing. An author mm-hmm. wrote the the cloud of unknowing in the 14th century. So, uh, so I'm I'm jumping all over the place, my friend. But but it's all you have to do it is the thing about prayer, trying is doing it's the only thing out there i can think of where trying Mm -hmm. is doing yes yes you have said a couple of really helpful things so the first one for
1: me is uh set a place mark in your day so for me it's in the morning uh i try not to have a cup of coffee beforehand because it jazzes me up uh, and so I have a, and I have a place, I have a meditation cushion. I have uh, a traditional, you mostly see them, you know, I found it in a Buddhist meditation center, a zabuton, which is a cushion that goes under it. Uh, so I'm on the floor cross legged. And then, um, when you set the time, if it's for five minutes, if it's for three minutes, because that's all you have, do it because, um, then the next day we obviously would like people to eventually reach a place, I think of 20 to 25 minutes is a, is a good time, but you can't start there. You got to mm-hmm. start at like three minutes, five minutes, you know, get your body. It's like, you don't train for a marathon on your first day by running 15 miles. Mm-hmm. You know, you, if you've never run a race before you start with half a mile for a mm-hmm. week every day and, and then you build up, right. And then you might even find that after five minutes, you actually have a hunger to go for 10. And then you follow that that intuition, right or that impulse. So all right, so but during the time of meditation, Rick, because um, there's so many styles of meditation, right? there's a mindfulness meditation, which is, I don't want to say actually in the scientific tradition, there's a mindfulness uh, practice, right it's it's a I don't want to say atheistic, it's, it's just, it's not a God practice. Then you have centering prayer, which is where the, the work is to completely focus one's attention on the repeating word. Let's say on the inhale, you might say, uh, when I use centering prayer, which isn't that often, like on the inhale, I use the word Maranatha, right? Come Lord Jesus, come. And then I'll say Mara on the, on the inhale and Natha on the exhale, OK, and whenever my attention or I get pulled away by thoughts or ideas or stories, I can catch myself and go, oh, planning mind, uh, scheduling mind, whatever. And then you bring your attention back to the word. Mm-hmm. Right. And there are mm-hmm. other styles, too, Rick, which what other ones that are available to people?
2: Uh, well, I was thinking also Lectio Divina, which is a little bit like Centering Prayer, where you you turn and you take just a phrase from the um from From the Bible, and you use that um, to uh, it's that's a wonderful you know ancient practice mm-hmm. um, to kind of circle uh, your your mind back then. And then, like I said, the one from the cloud of knowing where you use a single word. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's the cl- author of the cloud of knowing is a single syllable word. Interesting yes. enough. Uh-huh. Yes, one syllable. Wow. Yes, ding. It's like the yeah. little bell. Yeah,
1: it's like a little bell, right? Uh, now, the, the the problem for me with Alexia one, and of course, it's quite valid, but for me and personally in my own practice, is that it tends to trigger the discursive mind. So, in other words, you know, uh, maybe I come up with a you know a phrase or a sentence from scripture, then I start to theologically unpack it. My mind starts to you know, go oh, and or a feeling comes up, and I start to focus on the feeling. Or, you know what I mean? And so, to me, um, meditation, you know, is more of a practice of emptying the mind, quieting the mind, focusing the mind on a word or on nothing. Because, honestly, in, the, in that, you, you, you called it negative space. For me, when I just try to clear the mind and focus on my breath or on a word uh, from scripture, whatever it might be... Um, then, then what begins to happen is uh, I'm giving in that silence because, you know, Protestants particularly, they just talk too damn much. You know what I mean? It's just like, why do you talk so much? And, and so what happens is when, when I go into that space, all I want to do is give God consent mm-hmm. to do what he chooses to do in my wiring during that silence. Just trusting that some activity of grace of God is happening in the silence, though I though it may not be uh, perceptible to me, and just to rest in the divine. How does that ring with you? Does that sound like a? Tell me, is that a? I mean, is that a separate practice? What is that?
2: That that's, ex- that's exactly it. And in fact, you know, Lectio Divina it acknowledges that it's you know that early stage is discursive. But you go through the discursive to get to that place where you're contemplative. The um but yeah, exactly that, that place that you're talking about. One of the gifts I find is that when I go to that place, I have the comfort of knowing there's thousands, millions of people in the world doing it at the same time. Mm. It, you know, and there you are in in Nashville at the RIM in New York. There's somebody out there in California, there's somebody in Montana, there's somebody across the ocean, you know, it's, there's, I just, I, I am so naive or idealistic, I believe this is how we change the world, you Mm -hmm. know, you change yourself, and then you, one by one, and we change the world, so when I'm feeling that emptiness, I know it's also, Oh, maybe this is the two in me, too. I know it's also feeling there's somebody there with me, too. Mm hmm. That's, I think,
1: uh, not to tap too deep into Carl Jung, but there is a, I do think there's a collective unconscious. I, I, I do believe that prayer, actually, the best correlate to prayer would be found in the world of physics, that, that somehow or another, Um, We connect Mm -hmm. with strangers all over the place in a web of connection and and somehow or another, Mm -hmm. the collective power grid of all those different people is operating Mm -hmm. uh, in in some powerful, powerful way. And um, all right, I'm going to tell you a story, Rick, and then I want you to comment.
2: Come on, tell me the story, man.
1: So over the years, I have been in hundreds, if not thousands of churches, you know, preaching or teaching or attending, you know. And uh, one of the things I've noticed in the Protestant tradition in particular, not so much in the Catholic and Orthodox tradition, but in the Protestant tradition, they're afraid of silence. It's like they're terrified. So I'm going to tell you a story. One day I go to this church, I'm speaking at it, and it starts off, there's music playing when you go in over the speakers, mm-hmm. right? There's background music when you go in over the speakers. Then they start with a four-song worship set, blaring music, right? Just no, just noise, yeah, noise, 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 noise. Then they have what, what's called interstitial music or music that is a segue. They even call it a segue music, right? Mm-hmm. Isn't, that, isn't that what it is? Yes. So when the music of the band does, now it's coming, let's say, to a, like, a prayer time. Mm-hmm. Well, there's actually music but in that transition and then there's music under the prayer mm-hmm. like this kind of bed I call it, I call it like sonic wash music underneath the uh, the the guy praying and then there's segue music again and now the youth pastor gets up and he's okay. manic and running around and you know announcing he's going to cut his hair if they raise enough money and then after that there's music and then it goes to the pastor at the end of that the, and it's just constant noise it's as though they're allergic if not terrified of the possibility that god might show up in the silence
0: can i add something to what you just said as a worship leader i've been leading worship and have purposefully had pauses and I was told don't do that
1: okay yeah. Rick what is what is going on given that scripture and all the great fathers and mothers of the church have taught how important silence is why are Protestants and let's be honest you know Anthony kind of evangelicals you know little or <laughs> biggie they are like what the heck it's like mm-hmm. it's, I can't hear God because y'all are making too much noise the whole time. Rick, what is that?
2: Uh, Isn't that interesting? Do you think it might be insecurity? Like uh, if we're silent, maybe the wrong thing will happen, Mm. the wrong voice will speak up. Mm. But what it, you know, it, it also is a reflection for what happens to the rest of our day. You know, I, I mean, I do love my cell phone. I, you saw me; I just took it out of my pocket. But, but you know what? There are times to turn it off. It, it's not being present. love don't you the we love that word "present." It's got just so much rich theological language in it. Being present where we are, and so in a, in just in a worship service, hearing that person walk up to read the lesson. There's power Mm. in that. You're saying, oh, yeah, that's me, like, walking up. Mm. But to try to always fill it with noise, I think sometimes doesn't let us acknowledge who we are. Uh, but I, I i don't think it's just in church i think it's in the rest of our lives i mean uh, how often do you think when you're sitting there at breakfast you better you know read the newspaper and or listen to a podcast you know do do all those things instead of just paying attention to the good food in front of you yes mm. uh, how many times have i sat in a restaurant and thought to
1: myself turn off the damn music <laughs> i just and it's not because i'm an old guy and i can't hear it's because how can i possibly pay attention to what's in important in this moment mm. if the noise level you, you know anthony in uh and, and rick you know this uh in uh, uh, uh the not the great divorce but c.s lewis's um screw tape, screw tape mm-hmm. oh, screw, yeah. there's this great passage in, in that where the devil is speaking to the younger mm-hmm. devil and and he says noise that is our strategy we are going to make noise and we are going, he says, to drown the music of heaven. Mm. Mm. And so, noise, I think, is one of the most underestimated enemies in the spiritual life that one faces on a daily basis.
2: Mm. Yeah, I wow, that's so powerful, my friend. That's really, you know, noise. Um, yeah, and that. We forget that we're partners in the noise. Mm. We just lap it up rather than, you know, there's a lot we can do to sort of just say, I mean, in the restaurant, I'm not going to go up and say, would you turn off the noise? I have. (laughs) God bless you. you. I have said at times, turn it down, please.
1: Yeah, well, I'm a little bit um, more entitled
2: than you are. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but why do we need to always put background noise to our lives? Mm-hmm. Because it, it denies us the possibility of paying attention to the foreground noise. Or, you know, this is what we talked about sitting on the, you know, in the mornings. It's paying attention to the noise in our head so we know what it is, so we don't just repeat it all the mm-hmm. rest of the day. And And also that maybe we can attend to that to let it go.
1: Yes. Now... I, I, my thought, you asked this question earlier, I, I think for me, what people are anxious about, and I think it's anxiety around silence. I think that one, one of the things that they're worried about unconsciously is, if I get quiet, I, I might actually bump into God and to myself mm. in the moment. And that is terrifying. That possibility is terrifying to me. Uh, and so, you know, I think that, uh, you know, we have to um, pay attention to uh, this idea that I think people are afraid of themselves. Like, what might come up? What, what thoughts, what stories might arise that will arouse afflictive emotions in me, Right.
2: I love that. I, I might b- bump into God. I mean, you know, God is always there waiting to be bumped into. <laughs> you know, it's it's not. Uh, but we, I think, uh, put so many distractions there. And to notice the distractions so that we can have that uh, unexpected meeting. Mm-hmm. The unexpectedness of it's powerful.
1: All right. What do you say to somebody then who says, okay, well, you know, if you empty the mind, you're opening yourself to the demonic. I've heard that before from people, right? It's like, oh man, the, the mystical. Don't mention that word mystical, right? Uh, or if you say, you know, again, you, you know, you're opening yourself to spiritual attack if you empty the mind, you know, it's like, well, what do you say to that kind of thing?
2: Well, isn't it wonderful? I love the, how the Desert Fathers, you know, I love the word demons because what did they do to the demons? Bing, 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 bing. You know, sure they opened their, you know, they might have been there in the desert starving, but they and that opened their mind to the demons. And then they could do something about them. Mm. Get rid of them. You know, so yeah, that's a possibility. But as faithful people, we can identify them. Pow.
1: (laughs) Okay, I'm gonna say something controversial because I'm in a mood because I'm in a mood. (laughs) All right. So Jesus is in the desert, right? And uh, he is uh, tempted. Mm-hmm. Now, this is my theory on that. I don't actually believe some demonic devil showed up embodied in front of him, you know, actually speaking to him like you and I are talking right now. Mm-hmm. I think that Jesus was in the desert meditating, and he finds himself assaulted by these ideas, these thoughts, these stories in his mind. hmm so, you know, Jesus apparently was not, you know, pretty, you know, particularly worried. You know, it's not like he was, you know, having a physical conversation here. And how does he deal with it in the time of meditation? He doesn't back away. It's, it was very powerful for him to actually observe in, in the moment these thoughts coming up, recognizing that they were temptations that he had to avoid in order to accomplish his mission. Rick, am I going off the rails oh, here I, theologically? I,
2: I love that idea because you know how in one of them, they actually use scripture to, okay. to sort of lure him to the to the wrong direction, the enemy. And he comes back with scripture. You know, it's it's that they use all that manipulative stuff that can take us the wrong way. But sure, it could be, a, I I don't, have a problem with that that idea the um what i also think is really important here we are in the middle of lent you know we often honor it by giving up some sort of food chocolate you know wine or something but what's powerful about that that he's in the wilderness he doesn't have his friends there it's about a wilderness experience and learning in a wilderness experience and just those 20 minutes sitting 30 minutes sitting on the sofa is is acknowledging that wilderness in ourselves.
1: Mm. That's good. I love that. Yeah. The wilderness in ourselves. Mm. Yes, I, I, I agree. Now, um, we, um, talked earlier about, uh, what people can learn from our friends in the East, right? Uh, uh, our Buddhist friends and others who, uh, you know, for thousands of years have recognized the importance of, of meditation in the development of a spiritual life or a spiritual way of being in the world. Um, well, I mean, again, I've heard people push back on me and they go, Oh, that's Buddhist or it's this. And of course all the anxiety comes up, all the worries come up, you know? And, um, I, I often have said, you know, tongue in cheek, well, you know, we have a near Eastern religion, but that's a separate issue. Um, so, so Rick, what, what do you say to those people? What can we learn from other traditions and why, why should we, or why shouldn't we, uh, you know, be worried uh, that somehow or another, we are sleeping spiritually, sleeping around with another religion when we practice meditation.
2: Well, of course we listen to other people of faith, uh, you know, we come from Christianity, which came from Judaism. There, there, there you have it. You know, it's, it's, it's evolving. Uh, the, um, there's a really interesting study that um, it was in the BBC recently where somebody studied mindfulness. And mm-hmm. so this is what strikes me, is you separate meditation from any ethical origins and you get in trouble because people who practice just mindfulness – can end up being more selfish and i think that to me says don't take it away from its ethical spiritual origins keep them there because there isn't that risk um but but if you take it and just you know as we see sort of in boardrooms now the the mindfulness thing i think that's really much more dangerous
1: yes okay now The the Buddhists are very rooted in an ethical tradition, right? So what I hear you saying there is sort of the current Western scientific interest in mindfulness as a practice. I'm not so sure it's a bad thing. But, you know, I think that uh, that's more about neuroplasticity. It's about, you know, bringing the mind to quiet. It's You know, it's for purposes of, you know, uh, engendering a space of creativity. You know, I think that's a lot of what, you know, I hear in Silicon Valley and places like that. Now, that said, uh, one of the things I just encourage our listeners to think about is, look, there is a wealth of things that we can learn from other traditions without being disloyal to our own. Uh, And that, in fact you know, as a friend of mine used to call it raiding Babylon, you know, you, you know, you just kind of like take, take stuff and, you know, use your critical mind to leave things behind that are not consistent with what you believe as a Christian and take the stuff that could actually enrich your life as a Christian. What do you think, Rick?
2: Oh yeah. I, you know, I I like to think that God sometimes is anonymous. God is so powerful. Doesn't have to always put his name on things Mm -hmm. that, um, uh, and oh, I would—I'm with you too. That the, the, the mindfulness, there's there's wonderful growth in that. But it's my, what I'm screaming at is, come on, people of faith, come on, my fellow Christians, let's take it back because right. don't forget it. It's it's you know just because now it's in the boardroom, you mean you can't have it? Uh, right. It, 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 um, yeah. So God works anonymously. There's a wonderful myth that in those years before Jesus began his ministry, that he actually went to India, learned about the Buddha, and then came back. Uh, actually, I don't think it's true, but the fact that that myth is out there is is a wonderful story.
1: Yes. And, of course, my hero, Thomas Merton, uh, was a, a tremendous proponent of uh, trying to find the overlap between the buddhist tradition and the christian tradition. Now Merton was very very clear. He said I am not a buddhist, I am a christian. But what he was looking what he was looking for was gee, what can we learn here, mm-hmm. right? What what can we learn here in conversation with this other tradition. So I'm not and here's the other thing. It's in our tradition, it's just something that yes. we need to uh reappropriate. Re- th- yeah right we lost a lot of this in the reformation right because suddenly people became over focused on on scripture i hate to say it that's a personal opinion but to the to the exclusion of so much of what is in our tradition for example the desert mothers and fathers Mm -hmm. and all the, the cloud of unknowing all the mystical writing or the contemplative writing of the church and it just all became discursive thinking about the bible It was all about theology it was all about making sense And what we lost was this other realm of the unknowing. Mm -hmm. And how do we move into that space and trust that God will meet us there? Mm
2: -hmm. You know, this tragedy of of, of, uh, Merton dying so young, I guess, 52, 53, and, you know, over there in the East. And just wouldn't it be wonderful to think about what his next steps would have been as he Mm -hmm. learned more about the Eastern tradition and, you know, claiming his own faith and seeing how much there was to learn and to share with the rest of us. Hmm. All
1: right. For those of you who don't remember, uh, because we've had such a rich conversation, we're talking with Rick Hamlin. He is the author of the new book, Even Silence is Praise, Quiet Your Mind, and Awaken Your Soul with Christian Meditation. It is such a timely book, in part, Anthony, because right now we are in the midst of a mental health crisis. Mm -hmm. I mentioned it earlier in the show. I did want to come circle back and, and, and touch on it. Rick, tell me, how can meditation help Christians with who are suffering from anxiety, from depression, uh, from obsessive thoughts that uh, that that oppress them? Um, You know, these are these are real challenges in the world.
2: Well, I I, want to be careful. I don't think it replaces. Therapy, if mm-hmm. therapy is necessary, medication, but I think it can be an adjunct and a a partner in that work. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah so so sure i've I've gone to therapists many times in my life and 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 needed it. I've suffered through depression. I've worked through that, but what I felt while I was also at the same time practicing meditation, contemplative prayer. I was still accessing peace. Remember, peace is what we're, you know, that anxious voice is looking for peace. And it's as though God is right there trying to offer it to us. Mm. So through therapy, you see some of the enemies. But through the meditation, you have this chance to practice it and absorb it.
1: Yes. Okay, so, you know, I've been in a 12-step recovery program for years, and I love step 11. Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood Him, praying only for knowledge of His will for us and the power to carry that out. So that is the 12th step in Narcotics Anonymous and, you know, AA and OA, whatever your A is, you know. Uh, And I think you know, in my experience, and I've heard this so many times in the room, how many addicts in recovery would say that meditation has in many ways been the floor upon which their mm. spiritual life has was, was erected?
2: That's beautiful. I love that.
1: Yeah, it's, you know, again, we see this everywhere, right? And so when I see a teaching show up in multiple religions, in multiple other spaces, I have to think to myself, hmm, that's not uh that's not a coincidence. It's mm-hmm. because uh there's a, a great profound universal truth in it for, for all of us. All right. So Rick, I want to close up. Uh we mentioned some books. Uh in addition to yours, I think about uh Martin Laird's book, Into the Silent Land. Uh, which is a great book for Christians to read because it makes such a strong historical case for why meditation is important. Uh, his book Ocean of Silence is so gorgeous. Um, and
2: there's a connection to the Enneagram too because he often quotes Ev- Evagrius. I can't pronounce his name Evagrius
1: Ponticus, yeah.
2: Yeah, who, who had maybe was there for the origin of the Enneagram. Mm-hmm. So there it is, the two things right together.
1: Yeah, of course. That's a, I'm glad you made that, that connection. Um, so, Rick, any closing thoughts for us? What, what is it you want everybody to know uh, about meditation and the importance of it, the life-changing dimension of it, all that stuff? Like, what, How would you sign off? What encouragement would you give people?
2: The, uh, it's funny is not Enneagram two one of my my sin is pride you know that's the thing and what I love about this practice is it's constantly embracing humility mm. humility you know uh, I, I love that 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 story from from Jesus of the the pe- publican and the Pharisee and the the publican who's just saying th- uh, I'm sorry, I, I have mercy on me. The Pharisees just bragging in prayer. Thank God I'm not like other people. And Jesus points out the publican. So so to do prayer and, and meditation, you constantly think, oh, I'm not very good at this. Well, you know what? Feeling like you're not very good at it is rich. And I think that's what Jesus is saying. It's rich to feel humble about it.
1: Thank you so much. Everybody, I want you to go out and get Rick Hamlin's book, Even Silence is Praise, Quiet Your Mind and Awaken Your Soul with Christian Meditation. Uh, I would also recommend those other books we just mentioned. Uh, If some of you really want to plunge deeply into this, this, these books are not for the faint of heart, but I would also recommend The World of Silence by Max Picard. But it, it it is heavy reading. Uh, and of course, New Seeds of Contemplation by Thomas Merton would be uh, an incredibly rich. Oh, Rick's clapping on the camera here. Rick, why are you clapping at the New Seeds of Contemplation?
2: Oh, it's, it's 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 a text. It's a primary text. It's fabulous. Right.
1: I'm always telling people just read chapter five. If you have no time, just read chapter five of New Seeds of Contemplation. It may upend your entire world. Um, and then you know. Uh, Uh, Of course, there's Thomas Keating's book, Open Heart, Open Mind, would be another one on Centering Prayer. Cynthia Bergeau has a book on Centering Prayer. I can't remember. What's the name of it?
2: I I would have to take out my uh, Google and search, but you know.
1: Right. So her last name, her name is Cynthia Bergeau, uh, B-O-U-R-G-E-A-U-L-T. I'm pretty sure that's how it's spelled. Uh, It's a, uh, you're bringing it up, Anthony. Are you looking for it?
0: Uh, Yeah.
1: Anyway, it's a wonderful book on centering prayer. Listen, just dive deep into this topic, everybody. I promise you, I promise you, if you do it, you will find um, that, I'll tell you what you'll find. You'll find that when you leave the cushion, that your perceptive appreciation for the world will be so much richer. I, I can't even explain what happens when you have a regular meditation practice when you get up from the cushion, what you start to see is, oh, the blue sky. Oh, mm-hmm. the sound of birds. Mm-hmm. Oh, the color of the grass. Oh, you you have, your mind has been cleared enough that you, uh, you I think you carry the residual presence of God out into the world. Or a, an awareness of the brimming grace in all things. And I, you know, that's been my experience and that's why I, I also, I, as an Enneagram teacher, I just think it's so important to strengthen that muscle in your head that, that can actually say to you, uh-oh, Rick, you're helping that person because you want their appreciation. Or Ian, you are, uh, you are caught in envy right now and comparing yourself to other people. Apart from that, without a meditation practice, you'll live a lot of time on autopilot.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Cynthia Borja, the book I love of hers is The Wisdom Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: yes. That's a a wonderful one. That's a great book as as well. Well, Rick, thank you so much for being on. Uh, All of your socials will be in the show notes. Uh, A link to the book, I believe, Anthony, as well. Yep. And um, we have really loved this conversation. Thanks, my friend. Good to have you. And listen, uh, Typology friends, may you have love. May you have joy. May you have peace. May you have healing. May you have rest. Until next time.